So the past two weeks, uh, we've been called, we've been working through this series called The Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, where our goal is for us to study and, and learn through the book of Acts together. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dan launched this series sharing how Jesus established this outline for the book. He was, he was, before he was taken up in heaven, he said, he promised us that the Holy Spirit would come. That he, would, he would live with us. And then he promised that, that then we would be his witnesses, or the, the disciples then would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's this outline for the book. And that's, that's what we're going to be hopefully doing as we, as, and seeing as we study the book of Acts together. Then last week, Dan also continued that story, helping us understand the suspense of waiting. As the disciples were forced to wait, they again watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And, and Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And they're like, okay, we got to wait. But we, we saw, you know, throughout all, the, all of Scripture, there was this idea of just waiting. And waiting. And waiting. And waiting for the Lord. In our passage today, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the waiting is over. The waiting is done. Yes, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> and yes, as the, as the waiting is finally over, the waiting for us is not quite there yet. We're, we're still going to be waiting because we have to walk through some things before we get to reading this passage. And I promise you, we are going to read these 14 verses. But you're going to have to wait just a little bit longer. Uh, we're going to get there. We, you see, there's, there's this understanding that we need that we don't really have. Many of us. Some of us may have, but many of us in here don't have. We are not first century Jewish Christians. So some of the things that are talked about here, we're not going to fully grasp and fully understand until we, we journey through, through some of their, their experiences. And so we're going to take a little bit of a journey, a little bit of a jaunt, and we're going to walk through that. So... You're going to see a passage cover on the screen, Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 through 12. You can keep your place in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I put it up on the screen for you guys, so you don't have to turn there. As Moses was preparing Israel to enter the promised land, this is the land that God had promised them all the way back with their father Abraham. They're about to enter the promised land, and Moses is, is giving them final instructions because Moses knows he's not going in. And so the whole book of Deuteronomy are these instructions. Here's what you need to know before you go in to this land that has been promised to us for hundreds of years. And so there's this, this piece of all of these laws and instructions that, that, that Moses gives them, this piece of wanting to keep God in the center of everything that they do. How to keep God the central piece of their nation. How to keep God the, the central focus of their communities and, and their families. And one way in which they did that was through festivals. Now, we love festivals here. We, we have uh, the pork festival, right? I mean, woo, pigs are great. Um, but I'm not from here. I'm from West Virginia and spent time in Kentucky and Northeast Ohio. So when I came here and I saw pigs all around the town and, and there's this like 
pork festival thing. I, I go in, and the first year we're here, we're like, what is this thing? Still this day, I don't really fully grasp and understand it, but I can't begin to describe the people who have been born and raised here. It's like the pork festival. You know, like they understand it, they grasp it. Because you're from here, you understand the culture. We need to understand the culture and history of what the Jewish people were going through. And so they had these festivals. They had the Passover festival, which was to remind them and to to remember what God did in, in Egypt, how he set them free. How they were, they were able to leave Egypt and, and, and be finally free from slavery. And then they had this next festival, which was called the Festival of Weeks, which was to remember God on, on top of the mountain of Mount Sinai and how he gave them the law. And then they had the Festival of Tabernacles, which was to remember their wandering in the desert. And they did these every year to remember what God did in their lives. Well, we're going to look at one festival today, and it's called the Festival of Weeks. Read about it. We read about it in Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 through 12. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering. Did I just read that? No, it's all right. Yeah. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Now that you know everything there is to know about the Festival of Weeks, uh, I'm just kidding. Actually, I have a cool little video that gives a little more insight about this festival. So take a minute and watch. Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, is celebrated seven weeks after Passover, commemorating the first fruits of the harvest associated with the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. Taken from Leviticus 23 and Numbers 28, where two wheat loaves were offered in the tabernacle, representing the choicest fruits, an offering of thanks to God for Israel's bounty, a festival of first fruits. On the morning of the first day of Shavuot, many gather in the synagogue to read Exodus 19 and 20, which describes the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. All stand when the Ten Commandments are read commemorating this important day in the Jewish tradition. So you have Passover. And this is the, the festival like, that they remembered what God did to set them free in Egypt. And then you count seven weeks from Passover. If anybody's good at math, seven weeks, which is seven days a week, seven times seven is 49 So there's 49 days after this festival of Passover. Then the day after that is the 50th day. 50 days after this festival of the Passover is when they celebrated the festival of weeks. All right? Now, in Greek, they called this Pentecost. 
The reason they called it Pentecost is, be, is from the Greek Pentecoste Himera. Again, you're much smarter now because of that. Um, Pentecoste Himera, which means 50th day. So on the 50th day after Passover, they celebrated the Festival of Weeks. Now, did you catch in the video, and maybe you didn't, there's this passage of Scripture that they would study that day. It was Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Now, we're not going to read those this morning because that would be really long. But here's the gist. Israel left Egypt, and as they were were heading toward and, and, and to know where they were going, Exodus 13 tells us that they were led by a pillar of fire, or a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's presence with his people was this this magnificent, beautiful thing that they would watch. And and wherever it went, they went. They get to the Red Sea, and then all of a sudden, they, they, they see in the distance the Egyptians coming after them. The Egyptians are like, wait, we made a terrible mistake. These are all our our laborers. These are all our workers. We need to get them back. And so God, in his mighty presence, leaves the front, comes behind them, and blocks the Egyptians from getting to them. Super cool story, all right? This is so cool. So God's presence is between Egypt and and Israel, and then he, he parts the Red Sea. They go across on dry land, which is so cool. And then they get to the other side, and they're in the Sinai Peninsula, and they're, they're walking in the, in the wilderness of Sinai, and this pillar of, of smoke, this pillar of fire leads them right to the bottom of a mountain. Most of us know it as Mount Sinai. And at the mountain, God stops. He says, set up camp here. And then this cool thing happens. This amazingly beautiful picture happens. Look with me on the screen. Exodus 19, 17, 18, and verse 20. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Okay. Could you imagine being an Israelite at this time? You are wandering in the desert. You got this, like, cool little pillar of fire thing, you know, that's also been protecting. And it's like this beautiful beacon of hope. It's like this, this beacon that's telling us where to go and what to do. And then it gets a little scary because it's this powerful thing that keeps the Egyptian, the entire Egyptian army from taking you over. And then it goes on top of this mountain. And on top of this mountain, there's this fire and this, this smoke that's just like... It's like this big furnace. Could you imagine being an Israelite at the foot of the mountain looking up at that thinking, oh, I'm glad I don't have to go up there. But then you start praying for Moses because he has to go up there. It's an intense moment to see this beauty and this power all combined in this one beautiful picture of God. What's so cool is this is the way God's representing his presence with his people. 
You see, God always wants to be with his people. And so in Exodus 13, you're seeing him lead Israel in this pillar of cloud and in this pillar of fire. And then Exodus 19, this the same fire and, and smokiness lands on top of Mount Sinai. And then later in Exodus 40, God's like, okay, really, I want to be with you guys, so build me a place so I can be with you. Because if I'm with you like this, I'm just going to destroy you all. And so they build what's called a tabernacle, which is just a tent, because they're wandering around the desert. And so they build this tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is done, God's presence just like floods it. And no one can go in because it's so powerful and so mighty. And so we have this this beautiful picture of God finally dwelling with his people. And if you fast forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, they finally build God a permanent place because Israel is finally in the promised land. They have this permanent land. They have a permanent place for God. They build him a temple. And what does God do? He descends on it like fire and fills the place. This beautiful beacon of hope, this beautiful, powerful, majestic presence of God. It's a little bit scary too because we can't be around it, but it's still there and we love it because God is with his people. Now fast forward thousands of years later to Jesus. And it says in John 1.14 that he came and tabernacled among us, which means he became a tent. He was like a a little mobile temple that that went around to people. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and three days later, he rose from the grave. That's our story. That's what gets us to this place that we're at here in Acts. Jesus, he rose from the grave and then he, he walked amongst, around the earth for 40 days meeting people and, and, and showing his presence that he's alive. And then he goes up into heaven and we wait. The disciples wait. For 10 days they waited because Jesus died and came back to life during Passover. Forty days later, he then ascends up into heaven. And so on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, the moment is finally here. You may be wondering to yourself, why do we go through all this stuff? Why do we need to know about Pentecost? Remember, These men, when we find them, they are in a house on the day of Pentecost, and they're devout Jews. So what they're going to be doing is celebrating the festival of Pentecost, the festival of weeks. They're celebrating this festival. They just read Exodus chapter 19 and 20. They're remembering God on this mountain as fire. This beautiful picture that that is, is being painted of God's presence with his people. And then something amazing happens. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. We're going to read to verse 13. When the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, <laughs> they've had too much wine. I'd like to take this moment and just go to prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what's happening. Lord, your word is full of knowledge and truth. It is in here that we learn about you. We learn about your purposes. It is in here that that you teach us who we are and our purposes. So help us to see what you want us to see today. Amen. As the disciples were gathered in this house, a mighty rushing wind fills the home they're in. And all of a sudden, these little fiery, tonguey things come and land and rest on them. Weird. But remember, they just read Exodus 19 and 20. And they remember seeing this picture of God as fire on Mount Sinai, and then it, it, it would recall the times that, that, that God represented himself as fire, as, as this beacon leading them in the desert, as the one who comes and fills the tabernacle and the temple. These, these images would flood their mind, and they see fire now resting upon each one of them. And the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Luke is helping us see who the Holy Spirit is by painting this picture of what God is doing. God, whose presence is intertwined with this this image of fire, is now taking up residence in his disciples. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of Jesus' resurrection, we are now able to be host homes to the dwelling place of God. No longer did God need a temple 
for people to come to. Rather, God has left the temple and he's come and made his dwelling place with us. We are now the dwelling place of God, which means we are temples. Because God lives in a temple. Tim Mackey, who's a theologian, he, he puts it this way. God is creating mobile temples. Temples that can move around. God doesn't have to be in one centralized location anymore. No, he is taking up residence in his people. You see, I remember when I made the switch from a desktop computer to a laptop computer. Does anyone in here remember that moment that you made that, that, that switch? Um, I love this ad because I feel like this guy is stealing this computer. It looks kind of funny. Um, but there was this moment when I made that switch, and I felt so free. Now, now some of you in here may not even know what a laptop is because you have a cell phone. Um, but before laptops, there are these things called personal computers, and you would probably have one in your home. And if you needed to type, if you needed to work, if you needed to get on AOL and listen to the thing go, and you are fighting over your brother and sister to get on there, you had to go to one centralized location to use this thing. My dad tells a story before I was born about him in college where he would have to like, schedule a time to go to this room. And this whole room was a computer. So it wasn't like there was a personal computer in a home. It was, no, it was like this building And this building had a floor, and on the floor there was this room, and this room was the computer, and you had to go there. So there's a centralized location that we would all go to to use the computer, but now I have a laptop. And it was this big, clunky thing. But I remember going to class and, like, popping that thing open, feeling like I was so cool. I could take notes. It didn't have to hurt my hand. It was like I could just sit there and type. It was so freeing. That's what God is doing with his presence. No longer is there this just one place that people had to go to worship God, to be with God so God could be with his people. No, he is now coming and living and taking up residence in each one of us. We are the temple. This is huge, people. You and I are the temple, the presence of God that dwells within each of us. It's residing in you. I, I, I'm trying to, like, this is, this is big. Like, so Big. You see, this cloud, this fire, this beacon of hope that that led Israel in the desert, it now lives in you. This fire that descended upon Mount Sinai, this, this powerful thing that only Moses could go up to be with, now dwells in you. This fire that filled the tabernacle and filled the temple, it is now in you. And sometimes, 
Sometimes I think we just don't quite grasp the magnitude of that. Because if we did, if we did, the world wouldn't be able to contain us. (laughs) The world wouldn't be able to handle us. And so the the, the Holy Spirit comes and he, he makes residence up in the disciples. And then he does this awesome act, miracle, that only God could do. These Galileans, who of the Jews, were were really... Look look at verse 7. It says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? This is a mean comment. This This is really kind of mean, because they're like... The Galileans were simple folk, okay? They were the uneducated. They knew Aramaic. That was their language. But here, they're speaking the languages of all these places that I just read that I'm not going to read again because it's really hard. They are speaking all the languages of all these places. And yes, if you're wondering why I read that so well, is because I read it like 50 times. That was so hard. I was just praying as I was reading, like, God, don't let me mess up this word, pamphylia. Anyway, all these, all these places, they're, they're speaking their languages, and they're like, what is this? Now, if you were with us a few years back, we went through a series called The Story, and it was a beautiful picture, of, of, uh, a beautiful story of, of how we, we see from Genesis to Revelation, God and his, his loving kindness as it weaves in and out and, and through Scripture, and, and how we see Jesus' presence in, in all these places, and, and how there's this, this grand narrative of, of the story of God that he's inviting you and me to be a part of. It was a beautiful time. What we also learned in this time was that Israel was always in conflict with God. They were always wrestling and struggling with God. Up to this point where God says, listen, if you keep worshiping these other gods, if you keep allowing these other gods to come into my temple, to come into your community, if you keep doing this, you're not going to like where it's going to go. And so, ultimately what ended up happening is God sent them away from the promised land. Because of Israel's disobedience and their desire to worship other gods, they were handed over to several different nations. From the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks, and it goes on and on and on. These nations came and took over the people of Israel. And this handing over that God did, it created this this unique aspect of Israel. These these little pockets of Judaism found their way all over the known world at that time. Now, there was a remnant that came back to Israel. But there were some people who were in these communities, they had been there for 70 years, and and, and some for for even longer than that, and and they, they had adopted the language, they had adopted the culture, they had adopted all this stuff, but they were still Jews. They were still devout Jews, but they just decided, hey, our little community, we're gonna stay here. And those communities started to grow and started to grow and started to grow. So all over the known world, and and when we find in Acts, 
the Roman Empire at this time, all throughout the Roman Empire and beyond, there are these little pockets of Jewish communities. Now, why is this significant? Check this out. They still were devout Jews, so that means they celebrated the festivals. And this is the festival of weeks. This is happening during Pentecost. And so what are they going to do? They're going to go to the place where they can worship God. The place where God is taking up residence in Jerusalem, in the temple. So all of these pockets of Judaism all come from all over the world to one centralized location. I hope you're seeing something that God's doing here. I hope you're getting a picture of what God is doing. And if not, I'm going to explain a little bit more. This can't be a coincidence that on this day, God brought everybody here. And it began hundreds of years before this. With God sending his people away, them setting up all these little little communities all throughout the world. (coughs) And then the Holy Spirit does something miraculous. He invites them in. He starts speaking their language. And they start hearing, and they're, un- they're not understanding why they're hearing their language and the amazing works that God is doing. If you look at verse 11, it says, um, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. These disciples, in whom God took up residence in, they're starting to share their testimonies. They're starting to tell who God is. And so all these people from all over these nations came in and they start hearing what God is doing. They're hearing about Jesus Christ because this powerful act of the Holy Spirit and then this this awesome message that that Peter is is going to tell, which you'll, you'll hear about from Pastor Dan next week. They lead to this one magnificent moment. Look at, look at verse 41. If you need to turn the page or, or just stay on whatever page you're on. Verse 41, chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Gosh, I'd love to see that someday. I would love to see 3,000 people just come to know Christ. How wonderful. But here's the beauty of that moment. The beauty is the festival of weeks has an end. It doesn't go on forever. The festival of weeks has an end. And so those who traveled from all over these nations, where did they go? After the festival was over, they were in Jerusalem. Where did they go after that? They went home. They went home. The world came to one centralized location. And they received the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And 3,000 gave their life to Jesus that day. And 3,000 received the Holy Spirit. And then they went home, carrying the Holy Spirit with them, carrying the message of Jesus Christ with them. Do you see what God has done? So often we love to focus on this miracle and, and talk about like, well, were they speaking in tongues or were they, they like talking languages? Like, what is this miracle about? But the miracle is about this amazing thing that God did. He brought everyone together. They, he gave them the Holy Spirit and then he sent them back home as mobile temples. God's residence is no longer in this one centralized location. He has sent it out. They all came to God's dwelling place, Jerusalem, the temple. And then they left being God's dwelling place. You see, the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, it spread in one day to the world. In one day, it went to the whole known world. In God's presence, we have to realize is no longer in one place. It is with us. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. The truth is, not all will be convinced at the mighty works of the Holy Spirit. They will, there will always be scoffers of what, at what the Spirit does. There, there will always be skeptics of, of his miracles and, and the, the acts that he does. But to those who believe, to the curious... To the amazed, this is the question in verse 12. This question of what does it mean? What is the point of all this? After they ask this, Peter begins addressing the crowd. The crowd and he begins helping them understand what's going on. Now, once again, Pastor Dan's going to preach on this. So we're not going to hear that today. What is happening here? Dan's going to unpack that next week. But I still feel like this question of what does this mean needs to be asked of us today. What does it mean that God's presence is now mobile? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is now dwelling with humanity? Well, first of all, and, and this is a really important one, it means that the promises of Jesus come true. In Acts 1.8, in all the Gospels, Jesus promises there will be one that will follow him. There will be one to come after him, the Holy Spirit. He promises us the Holy Spirit. And it is on the day of Pentecost that, that the world receives the Holy Spirit. It finally happened. God finally is not just dwelling among his people, but he's dwelling within his people. 
If you accept Jesus as your Savior, you also receive the Holy Spirit. One of the persons of the Trinity dwells within you. And I just I want you to hear that so badly. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is God. And one of those persons dwells within you. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God Almighty is living within you. What? What does this mean? Again, that same fire that led Israel, the same fires on Mount Sinai, all of these images, these powerful images of God, they dwell in you. This beacon of hope that led, you now have that leading you. This power that gives the law and speaks the law into existence, it's dwelling within you. Telling you and teaching you and helping you understand what you are to do. The words of Jesus. The presence of God who says he wants to be with his people. You don't have to go to him anymore because he has come to you. God dwells in us right now, in this moment. And I want to say that a thousand times because I feel like if I say it enough, it'll sink into our heads and then we'll leave here and like blow everything up. But I don't want to become redundant. I've already been redundant enough. My friends, you are a temple, and you have feet, and you have legs, and wherever you go, God goes with you. The last thing I want to say is, when we ask the question, what does this mean? Look at Romans 8.11 with me. It means that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Now, I don't know if any of you have been doing much raising from the dead lately. But sometimes I get this thought that we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I get this thought that we are a little scared of the power of the Holy Spirit and what he can do. If he can raise people from the dead and he dwells within you, let him raise our lives up from spiritual death and give us life so that we can go to the world 
and tell them that they can have this same spirit dwelling within them. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Because as we end, we, I have a few more questions that I, I, I just want us to think about this morning and more reflect upon. The first question is this. Are you a temple? Are you a temple? And this question is, is to a specific group. This is to you who does not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not made him the one you have given your life to, then you are not a temple. And I got to tell you, yes, it is a little scary at times, but to be the dwelling place of God is amazing. To be one who is host to the maker of the universe as we go out and, and, and share his hope to the world, there is nothing greater. And if you want that in your life, we're going to be singing a song, and this is a time for you to come up and receive Jesus as your Savior, to receive the Holy Spirit. And this is a time to do that. I might even say this is the time to do that. And there's others of you in here. You are temples. My question to you is, what kind of temple are you? Maybe even asking the question, what does your temple look like? Is there much upkeep going on? Are you like the Israelites who allow other gods to come in and and fill the temple area, thus desecrating the house of God. Are you distracted and, and, and trying to do what you want to do and, and realize that the Holy Spirit, whose power is mighty and great, is trying to say, no, go here, go here, go here. And you're like, no, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here. You have this wrestling and fighting and struggle like the people of Israel. What kind of temple are you? Are you the temple that is allowing God to move in you and go and take you places. You follow him like he's that beacon of hope. He resides in you and, and gives you the law and helps you understand what you are to do and what you are not to do, how, you fo- how you're to follow him. Has he taken up dwelling in your life and you just rejoice in his presence? And do you take him to the world? What kind of temple are you? These are the two questions that that you're either wrestling with one or the other. And as we sing, these are the questions I'd like for you to dwell upon today. So pray with me. Lord, Holy Spirit, as we speak, you are listening. And you're not listening in some far off place. You're not listening in some distant area, but you are listening right here, right now. Help us. 
Help us, Lord, to understand the gravity of what it means for you to dwell within us. Help us to understand the gravity of what it means to be a people who go into the world. For that's what you did these thousands of years ago. And what we look forward to you doing in each one of us. We pray this in your name, Jesus.